Chapter 2. It Wasn't Always That Way Seven years ago, seemingly out of nowhere, Pope Francis declared the revered 10th-century Armenian monk St. Gregory of Nadeg to be a Doctor of the Church. This title, unique to the Roman Catholic Church, is bestowed upon the most highly venerated theologians of the Catholic Church. Among the Catholic Church's many thousands of saints, only a few dozen have been granted the exalted title Doctor of the Church. The Pope's proclamation was extraordinary. It was stunning. St. Gregory of Nadeg was never a member of the Catholic Church. Holed up in his monastic cell on the southern shores of Lake Van, it is highly unlikely that Gregory ever met a Roman Catholic. He likely wouldn't have recognized one if he saw one. For the Catholic Church to proclaim St. Gregory of Nadeg as a doctor of the Church is like the President of the United States bestowing the Presidential Medal of Freedom on an obscure playwright from Peru. What should qualify an Armenian Apostolic Orthodox monk to be heralded as an authority on the teachings of the Catholic Church? More to the point, whatever Nadeg's gracious and saintly virtues may be, how would the Roman Catholic Church even know of this man's existence? Why would they take interest in his writings, his prayers, his theology, and other godly gifts? How many Armenians have ever read a line of his writings or could state the century in which he lived? And not just St. Gregory of Nadeg. How many of us could name six saints of the Armenian Church and give a brief synopsis of their contributions to our theology, sacred culture, or distinctive expression of the Christian faith? The massive 12-volume medieval compilation of the life stories of the many hundreds of saints venerated by the Armenian Church is currently being translated into English for the first time by the Roman Catholic scholar Dr. Edward G. Matthews, Jr. The first volumes were published by Brigham Young University, the renowned Mormon Academy in Provo, Utah. The series is now in the hands of Gorgias Press, a distinguished Syriac Orthodox publishing house. What motivates a Roman Catholic scholar to master the classical Armenian language and to embark on a multi-year translation project concerning the Armenian Church? Furthermore, what do the Mormons and the Syriac Orthodox Church care about the Armenian Church's Register of Saints. More curiously, with more than a century of history in the United States, why has the Armenian Church herself not yet inspired a scholar from within our ranks to produce an English version of this work so that our people might get to know the heroes of our heritage and learn from their Christian example? or consider our diocese's own Krikor and Clara Zohrab Information Center. It attracts Armenian and non-Armenians of many disciplines to its small but precious library 
at the diocesan headquarters in New York, and to the Center's monthly presentations by authors, scholars, and artists, whose work in some way touches on the life and vision of the Armenian people and our Church. A few years ago, the director inaugurated a program called Krapar Yevkini, Classical Armenian and Wine, an offbeat elementary course in the classical Armenian language, offered in a relaxed, non-classroom environment, yes, over a glass of wine. The program continues to attract a modest but avid group of Armenians and non-Armenians, ordinary folks who are eager to learn the ancient language of the Armenian Church. That language is the key to all Armenian literature, theology, and culture before the 19th century. Clearly, there is something exciting hidden away in the writings of our classical language that these people consider worth investing their time to discover. Many are the examples of the unlikeliest of people taking an interest in the Armenian Church. The celebrated 18th to 19th century English poet Lord Byron spent a year with the Armenian Mkhitarist monks on the island of San Lazaro in Venice, where he studied Armenian and translated several Armenian biblical, theological, and other works into English. Virtually every Armenian church in our diocese has opened its doors to non-Armenian individuals and families who stumbled in and chose to make our church their Christian home. The Armenian Church possesses something unique that has captivated people, Armenian and non-Armenian, something that continues to resonate with many people who consider it worth investing in. She offers a perspective on the mysteries of life and of life beyond that intrigues even people who have no ethnic or other obvious connection to the Armenian people. Jesus speaks of a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Those that immerse themselves into the heart of the Armenian Church and commit themselves to its values and strenuous but extraordinary way of life might be compared to Jesus's merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. Many people throughout history and until today have discovered for themselves that pearl of great value in the Armenian church. So why are our churches not bursting at the seams with American Armenians who are the heirs of Armenia's unparalleled Christian culture and message? What has gone wrong? It seems that our church has lost track of the precious pearl in her midst and has become distracted by other diversions. The time has come for this generation to recognize the signs of the times, as Jesus counseled, 
Matthew chapter 16, verses 2 and 3. The time is now for us to summon the courage to face the hard fact that our church is in decline. Despite the efforts and dedication of many, our people and our children are being deprived of the Armenian Church's bright pathway to God, a road that is well-traveled and has escorted innumerable souls to the joy, the hope, and the presence of God and His kingdom. We need our holy Church to flourish. We need to discover and share the pearls of our Christian heritage, most especially the one pearl that inspired all the rest, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We American Armenians of the early third millennium and all who declare the Armenian Church to be their own have the rare opportunity to restore our Church to its traditional fortress-like stature in Armenian life. Few Armenian communities, past or present, can match the freedom, resources, and potential that the American Armenian community enjoys today. The history of our diocese is the story of heroic men and women of faith making remarkable sacrifices for the sake of God and their ancestral church and their children. That precedent alone should be enough to spiritually catapult others to follow their example. Our generation has the potential to reclaim the heavenly energy that gave hope and creativity to our forebears. We have the opportunity to bring healing, hope, and the true joy of the kingdom of God to those who so desperately need it, beginning with ourselves. Each one of us can begin to do so today. Today, the Armenian Church is no longer uniquely responsible for managing every facet of the subsistence and destiny of the Armenian people. The Church is no longer the only player on the field of Armenian identity and welfare. By the grace of God, the independent Republic of Armenia was reborn. Fragile as it may be, the Republic has as its primary responsibility to assure the security and well-being of the people within its borders. A network of embassies throughout the world communicates the interests of the Republic to the great powers. Countless NGOs, non-government organizations, assist the homeland in a myriad of specific causes. Affluent benefactors from the diaspora are able to invest in Armenia's well-being and development with an immediacy that was never possible during Soviet and pre-Soviet times. Professional organizations, health professionals, lawyers, and numerous others bring their expertise to the service of communities in and outside of Armenia. Lobbying groups support Armenian causes via diplomatic efforts. Charitable organizations throughout the world, such as the Fund for Armenia's Relief, the Armenian General Benevolent Union, the Children of Armenia Fund, and many others, raise millions of dollars per year to support all manner of educational and charitable causes in Armenia 
and throughout the world. The point is this. No longer do the manifold responsibilities of assuring every facet of Armenian welfare rest solely on the shoulders of the Church. Instead, the Armenian Church today has the opportunity to refocus on the one sacred mission that is unique to her, the life and death spiritual mission that no other Armenian body can, will, or should undertake. No servant of the Church must be condemned to God's terrifying indictment, according to the prophet Ezekiel. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the crippled you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought. Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 4. In areas of Armenian life, where other more specialized and competent bodies have come into being, the Church may now step back to a supporting role to focus on her primary competence and obligation. Indeed, she has a sacred obligation to do so. But time is short. There is a finish line to this life. Judgment awaits us. Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. We will be held accountable to the eternal authority for what we have done and for what we have failed to do. Each of us and all of us will at some point be required to justify what we have done with our lives. Every individual is free to minimize or to reject the reality of that judgment, but at a staggering risk. Father Porter asks, Of all Christians in the world, why would an Armenian turn his back on his ancestral experience of Christian life by devoting himself to other churches, other religions, or, most tragically, to no Christian commitment at all? You and I, in this Eastern Diocese of the Armenian Apostolic Orthodox Church of America, have the opportunity to invest in the regrowth and flourishing of our church. We have the chance to invest in our church, to invest tangibly in our children and grandchildren, to invest in eternity. We do this not simply for the preservation of our church, not even for its Christian culture, but for the eternal welfare of the people that have been entrusted to us, and that not only for our people, but for all people. The story of Christian Armenia, the full, unedited story, is one of suffering, indefatigable resilience, endless hope-filled faith in the three persons of the Holy Trinity and the glorious realm of God. That is a story that must be widely heard, a light to be put on a stand to give light to all in the house. Matthew chapter 5, verse 15. Note that we are not advocating preserving the Armenian Church or working for its survival. For the first post-genocide generation, survival was the appropriate byword. 
Today, in 21st century America, survival means suicide. Jesus teaches otherwise. The Armenian Church testifies otherwise. If we are satisfied merely to keep our church alive so that we can hand it on to the next generation, then we have made the church something akin to great-grandmother's silver teapot, a precious and poignant relic of the past that is displayed in a case. Pulled out from time to time as a conversation piece, the souvenir's interest fades as the generations pass. We will have happily attested to the irrelevance of the Armenian Church. Jesus teaches otherwise. The Armenian Church testifies otherwise. Our God-given mandate is unquestionable. Our calling is awesome. It will require not tweaking, but nothing short of culture change, a complete overhaul in our personal and corporate mindset and attitude toward the ultimate things of God and toward the Armenian Church. Jesus Christ the Savior, as the head of the Armenian Church, is the foundation of this culture change. Our commitment to Him must be unwavering, rock-solid, and growing ever stronger. In the Armenian Church, we have a time-tested and stunning tradition of discipleship, of knowing and following Jesus Christ, of making the Son of God the unconditional priority of our short lives on planet Earth, as a preface to living with God for all eternity. At its genuine heart, the Armenian Church exhibits the genius of Christianity and the truth of Jesus, the Savior. The Armenian Church shows us how to overcome doubt and vacillation when we inevitably face tribulation. Long before the genocide, our Christian ancestors overcame the worst imaginable horrors that this world can serve up. The Armenian Church is our model for defending the Christian faith, for sacrificing what we treasure for the sake of the privilege of being faithful children of God and faithful children of the Armenian Church. The Armenian Church manifests a Christian culture that is second to none. Her music, art, architecture, languages, theology, Biblical reflection and application, saints and liturgies are compelling expressions of the robust faith of the Armenian people for two millennia. The Armenian Church's balanced, rational, and compassionate understanding of God's will for his creatures is neither legalistic, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that, nor subjective, Anything is okay if it seems good to me. Her unique theological experience of God and her insights into the truth of Christianity, when discovered and understood, are captivating. Her witness and message are possibly even more compelling today than ever before, not just for Armenians, but for the world. In all that has been offered so far, 
it would seem that our task is to strengthen the Church by discovering the essence of our ancestral Christian heritage, reclaiming it, and rededicating ourselves and our diocese to it. At the most practical level, this is surely correct. However, in reality, our task is simultaneously more mysterious and more magnificent. <laughs>